Welcome back to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television. Hello, everybody. Josh Wiggler here. And this week, we are setting our sights on two different ABC dramas, one of which aired a long time ago and one of which is about to embark on its maiden voyage. Let's start with the new one before working our way to the old. Emergence, premiering September 24th on ABC. The new hour-long drama takes place on my home turf of Long Island, New York, and focuses on a police chief named Joe Evans, played by Fargo favorite Allison Tolman. Her sleepy town lurches awake when a huge accident occurs in the middle of the night, causing all sorts of electronic weirdness and introducing a brand new stranger into the town, Piper, a young child played by Alexis Skye Swinton, tied to some greater conspiracy and holding on to a few strange secrets of her own. Other cast members include Donald Faison as Joe's ex-husband Alex and Clancy Brown as Joe's father Ed, a rare good guy appearance given Brown's long track record of playing very bad men. If I hear so much as a mouse fart in here the rest of the night, I swear by God and sunny Jesus, you will all visit the infirmary. I've seen the pilot for Emergence. I've enjoyed it tremendously, and I could tell you all about it, but then the powers that be would have to kill me. So instead, how about we turn it over to the powers that be themselves so they can tell you exactly what they're comfortable sharing about the show at this point in time. What follows is my interview with Michelle Fazakis and Tara Butters, the duo responsible for Agent Carter, Kevin Probably Saves the World, and what they hope is about to become your new favorite show, Emergence. Chief. A plane crashed on a beach. I found a kid at the crash site. I'm being told he wasn't even on the plane. I can help you. She doesn't have a scratch on her. She doesn't remember anything. She doesn't know her name. Doesn't know where she's from. Can I go home? Where's home? I'm gonna keep you safe. I am not gonna let them take you. Why do they want to take me? I bet the answer is in here somewhere. She's gone! Don't be mad. Michelle and Tara, thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it. Emergence. So this is happening September 24th, ABC, Be There or Be Square. (laughs) Tell us about it a little bit. Michelle, what's the premise of the show? So the premise is a town in uh, Long Island, sort of the North Fork of Long Island. So if the South Fork is the Hamptons, the North Fork is not quite the Hamptons. Right. Police chief played by uh, Allison Tolman, and there's... What appears to be a plane crash, a small plane crash, and a young girl is found at the site of the plane crash. She didn't have a scratch on her, so they don't know where she came from. Was she even on the plane? And so she just sort of takes her in because she doesn't have anybody, and she immediately realizes people are after her. The girl has no memory of who she is or where she came from, and so she starts re- like having to really protect this kid and try and figure out who is she, 
where is she from, and why are all these people trying to find her? Right. Where did the premise come from? Was there a starting point for you, Tara, in terms of digging into these characters and digging into the world and the themes that you hope to explore? Last summer, when we were going through the development process, one of the things that Michelle and I like to do is we use a system called Toybox that the Imagineers use, and we just find it it's a really fun way to kind of just see what's sparking to us in the moment, and you basically use Post-it notes and you put down whether it's TV shows, movies, concept or idea, and you start to kind of see a pattern of things that you're, are drawing your interest. And one of the, thematically, one of the things that was also coming up was sort of the Spielberg movies of our youth of like Close Encounters and E.T. where you had like real families who were experiencing something out of the ordinary. Yeah. And sort of they were funny and uh, complicated and we really love that element but then Michelle has a true story that was also became a part of this so my husband had a boss who I'd met and she her mom had uh, been an LAPD detective in like the 60s and 70s when there were not a lot of women doing that job and the story is mom responds to some terrible crime scene and there's a five-year-old girl there and she just takes the girl in and adopts her, wow. which ended up being my husband's boss. And it's what I love about starting a, a, a character that way and introducing a character that way is you instantly love that person. And and it's not done out of like, I have to, you know, oh, I love this child. It's, it's, a, it's, it's more like practicality, like, well, this kid doesn't have anybody. And so I'm just going to take her in. And yeah. and there there's no like angsting about it. It's like we're just yeah we're just gonna do this and and so we sort of married a lot of those ideas that we had with that story and that sort of started to feel like oh that feels like a world and feels like characters I want to kind of get to know. So uh, casting is so key for for any series, but starting with this pilot and starting to build the world out and constructing the characters that you know at least you want to begin with. I guess just to take it from the perspective of what appears to be the core relationship of the show between Joe and this young girl that she that she finds. Can you talk about developing those characters specifically and the casting behind it as well? It's so great to be seeing Allison Tolman in this role. Now, well, the characters, uh, I think we, as far as like Piper, who is the little girl, we very much didn't want to do. You started with you wanted somebody who's a big Toy Story fan. <laughs> well, that was so funny because it was real. That a little bit of a tease was... for people of what to expect <laughs> in the pilot. That's how Joe, played by Alison Tolman, sort of gets Piper to trust her because she's wearing a Toy Story shirt that ha and she says, oh, you see Woody, and Woody's wearing a little sheriff's badge. I'm like Woody. And it was such a nice, concise way to instantly create, like, trust. And what was great about that is because we had originally developed it for NBC, and NBC initially was like, we're, you can't use Toy Story right, because we're not going <laughs> to advertise Disney property for it. But we actually went back to NBC we're like, can't we do this though? Because, and for all the reasons that I said, like how quick and easy that is. And the, and NBC was like, okay. And so now that we're on ABC, of course, ABC is like, bit. sure, yes. synergy, great. Uh, so when we were sort of thinking about Piper as a character, we I felt like we wanted her to feel like a real little kid uh, and not just like, oh, creepy kid. Cause I feel like I've seen that a lot. So 
and Tara and I both have kids and I have a 10 year old son and an eight year old daughter and they do this would you rather thing like would you rather be a unicorn or a wizard yes so but I liked sort of putting that in there and making her feel like oh this is just like a real little kid who just has a weird backstory but she still will feel like a real kid and then with Joe the character we were sort of writing our moms in a way and ourselves like you know People who like they have careers and they're not solely defined by being mothers. Like they have a lot of different facets and they have to keep a lot of things in line. And very much like how my mom is, it's just like you just everybody just has to do what I'm telling them to do. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so and it's that very sort of like you've got a lot of things going on. And then, you know, casting Piper, we knew was going to be tough because it's it's always hard to find kid actors who are believable who aren't too broad who aren't and we're gonna carry so much yes. of the weight of your show i mean this isn't a supporting character this is essentially yeah. a co-lead so we looked in los angeles in new york uh sort of internationally and alexa had auditioned uh in new york and we really liked her and so he brought her out to la and she worked with our director and so we got so lucky with her because she's when you meet her she's like super bubbly and talkative and but she can sort of shut all that down and do a lot with very like just with like a facial expression and then allison tolman was like one of those things where she was on a list as available and like well we're never gonna get her (laughs) and then she actually read the script and she actually liked the script and she came in for a meeting and her first question was, do I have to wear a uniform? Right. Because <laughs> I did that already. And we're it's like, just no. chief of police, right? Yeah, you know, yeah. you do what you want. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we said. And Allison also responded to the fact that she's a mom who is not solely defined by being a mom, that there's a lot of other facets in her. And she's not, Allison said this uh, yesterday at the TCAs, she's not de- defined by whatever the man in her life is doing because I think that was a lot of the scripts that she was getting so she responded to she's a woman she's already sort of in her job and in her career and doesn't need to sort of fight for power because she's got it she's the so I think that was amazing that it that it worked out yeah. I'm so happy to have this role for Clancy Brown in this series, who's, a, who's an actor I love so much, but usually he's doing something terrible to people. You know, he's, he's so often playing such a, such a monstrous guy. And here he's, uh, he's Joe's father. He's Allison Tolman's character's father. You talk about casting that character, building that character as well, and, and the role that he plays in Emergence. It's so funny. He was another person who was on a list that we were looking at to just make a direct offer to. And, you know, as much as he plays the heavy in a lot of TV and movies, he's so warm and charming. And the relationship that he's created with Allison on screen is just, it's delightful. And it's its funny, it makes you wonder why he's not cast in that role more. Yeah. Because you believe that they have been, like together in this for like a long time i mean they really sell it and so i'm really happy to to explore that relationship and we have some you know ideas of where that's going to go and just make it feel really real yeah uh, how about Donald Faison's character playing Alex? So I know before we even got on the air, we were singing the praises of uh, Donald Faison. What does he bring to the show and, and to the universe, both as a character, but also as a, as a presence on set? Oh, my gosh. Donald ha- has been our, like, 
such a find. And Michelle has a great story that he <laughs> loves to tell, that Donald At loves to tell. Any press thing we do, Donald will introduce the story and be like, Michelle, tell this story about how I auditioned <laughs> for your show. And it's it's a real thing. So, you know, you, you're seeing, we, we had waited till we cast Mia, who is Joe's daughter, biological daughter, before we cast the dad, because we wanted to know who, you know, who dad should be. And so Donald came in for an audition. And when you see Donald, you sort of feel like you, you oh, I know what he is. I know what he does. He's scrubs. He's clueless, whatever. So in my head, I was like, mm, this is probably not going to be right, but fine, we'll, we'll do the audition. And literally within under 10 minutes, he won the part. Like, he, uh, he he was so good. And what he did that a lot of other um, actors didn't do was he played the conflict. He played, like, every, like, everyone was coming in. They're very good actors, but they were playing nice guys. And Donald came in, and even not, not that he was playing a jerk, but he was playing, this is a recently divorced couple, so there's a lot of stuff in there, and it's like this weird gray area, and he was so good that he walked out of the room and we all looked at each other we're like oh he's there it is he just got it and i like that relationship so much because i love that it's they're recently divorced so they don't quite know how to not Dance be married anymore yeah, yes. and they sometimes can kind of fall back into old habits they have a lovely chemistry like even more than i thought like when i when i saw their scene together in the pilot we were like Oh, this character just got bigger in my head. Like, I, I now know, I can see what I could do with this character. Yeah. The thematics of the show and, and what you're exploring in Emergence. Can you speak to that a little bit? Because we, un we understand there's a mystery at the heart of this, that there's this mysterious girl who comes into town. What are you hoping to explore through these relationships? And what are you hoping to explore just in kind of a broader way as Emergence pushes through? It's a little bit of a tricky question. Yeah, I'm I sure, because it's a very mysterious show. Well, it's tricky because we know we want to explore, but it's tricky without sort of trying. How do you? Well, one of the things that we've said that is, is a part of it, which is the idea of the other, the idea of how we treat the other in our society. And when something or someone comes into your life that doesn't fit what you are used to, we have the capacity of kindness, the way Joe basically embraces Piper. And that's something we, one of the like elements we were, have wanted to kind of explore. But in, that's the great thing about science fiction and genre and everything that you can have these things in, in ways that is not political. Yeah. Like there are other things that we will explore as certain things are revealed. One of the other things is how you sort of construct your family. Because you have your biological family and then you have the family that you sort of make in your life. And even though this is a family that they're divorced, they still feel like they love each other. And the family still feels like they're trying to be a family even though the marriage didn't work out. And part of that is in, in some ways based on when I met Tara's parents who had split up when, they were, when she was little. But when you met them, you're like, God, they, they seem like they're friends. They seem like they like each other. And I sort of like seeing that as characters on a show because often you see it's just contentious and mean. And these are people who are actually trying to co-parent, trying to sort of coexist. You can see why they were married. You could see why they were divorced too, but you could see that they just, at the end of the day, like each other. Yeah. This pilot takes 
twists and turns. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are there are, you know the the premise speaks for itself, and there are surprises within the premise within this very first episode mm-hmm. to the point that we can't talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, nor would I nor would I want to to spoil anything for for anybody. But when you're when you're crafting a show that strikes me as this is going to have a fairly elaborate mythology, that there are some big ideas behind what you're trying to to explore here in emergence. How do you structure it out so that you're you're both asking questions that are going to have big answers but making sure that you're you're delivering those answers at a at a reliable time frame where I don't know people are still still engaged and not frustrated that they're not getting the answers that they need I'm sure that this is stuff that you talk about no, a lot in the writers room I'll, we talk about it a lot and we talked about it even while we were coming up with the pitch for this because we've been on shows that had you know, mythologies and or about a mystery. And we've been viewers of shows where, and there's nothing more frustrating than feeling like either, oh, they don't know what the answer is or they know, but they're just sort of stalling. So in many ways, we've designed the show to, A, we know the answers. We didn't, and we pitched a good, like, three seasons of... Oh, wow. Here's going to be the big reveals in this season. Here's going to be the big reveals in this season. And then beyond even th- like the, after the reveal in the third season launches you into an even bigger story. So we're going to re- have big answers way earlier than you think. Yeah. Um, and also we wanted to design it so that it's not just about the mystery because I think that's the trap you get into with a show like this where if you make it so much but always having to turn cards and sort of tease out this mystery you're going to run out of story really quick so that's why i'm we we sort of made it a combination genre conspiracy thriller and family drama and the nice thing is the family is so interesting and you want to spend time with them and the actors are all so good that i i i never feel like oh i wish i was out of the house and getting into the mystery because no, I like these. You people. like these people, yeah. yeah. As we're wrapping up, speaking of liking people, you guys must like each other quite a bit. You have a, <laughs> you have a pretty long and fascinating career together. What is uh, the key behind the creative partnership between the two of you, and what is Emergence allowing you to express with each other as writers and and you know longtime collaborators that maybe you haven't scratched those itches yet, and this is giving you that opportunity. You know, uh, Michelle and I have been writing together for almost 20 years. I think it's 20... 20 years this year, yeah. Yeah. Across all kinds of genres, Mm -hmm. mediums, comic books, you know. Exactly. And so we're friends first. And so I think it's out of that friendship and out of having fun doing it that we've been able to do sort of a very wide range from comedy and you know, action adventure to this, which was a little different for us, which I think was very appealing because, you know, we had just come off of Kevin probably, which was something we both adored and had so much fun doing, but wanted to kind of go back to some of our roots. uh, We met at the X-Files. And so kind of something that had the ability to kind of scare you and had some thriller conspiracy elements, but felt wholly different in that it was about a family and had heart and, you know, in ways that, you know, it wasn't episodic of the week. And we just wanted to kind of explore that. And I think that's also really important is showing the industry constantly that you can do different things 
because oftentimes you are what you last did. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's, I think, important for us to constantly make people realize, oh, no, you don't know who we are. Mm-hmm. Thank you both so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you. So that's Emergence, a brand new enigmatic electromagnetic extravaganza. You know, it's another ABC drama that you could describe as an enigmatic electromagnetic extravaganza. Desmond! I see you in another life, brother. That's right. Your favorite show and mine, Lost. Okay, my favorite show. Maybe not yours. But the point remains. Lost premiered 15 years ago on September 22nd, 2004. Not that there isn't enough happening on television right now that you need to go back and revisit the show in honor of that anniversary, but I don't know, I guess tell that to me, because that's exactly what I've been doing on a different podcast called Down the Hatch. You could join along with that if you're in the mood for a full-fledged rewatch. I'm tweeting about it all the time at Round Howard if you're so inclined, but at the very least, you could go back a little bit, right? So in honor of the 15-year anniversary of Lost, it's a sacred number in the show's lore, I at the very least feel like I should provide you with a path towards revisiting the show quickly, if you're pressed for time and you're still interested. A slimmed-down watch list is never going to fully satisfy as much as an all-in rewatch. But if you're crunched for time and you still feel like you have to go back, then allow me to present to you what I am calling the Lost Binge Diet. 15 essential episodes from the series that you can watch and still walk away with all the nostalgic warm fuzzies. Obviously, spoilers are ahead, as this guide is designed for people who have watched Lost already. If you've not watched Lost yet, tune out now. Go watch it. And to buy you some time to check out before the spoilers really begin, here's a diaper commercial brought to you by Driveshaft. And action. The Charlie-centric Fire Plus Water will not be making the cut for the Lost Binge Diet. But I'll allow the late musician to guide you into the first course on the menu all the same. Guys. Where are we? The two-part pilot. Yes, multi-part episodes count as single entries on this list. I don't care if you think that's cheating. You can't start any return to the island without the sight of the crash in the first place. In fact, if you're really pressed for time, then all you need are these two near-perfect hours of television, watching the survivors of Oceanic 815 and their opening days on the beach. 15 years onward, you will be shocked at just how much Lost still holds up, polar bear and all. If you have time for more than the pilot, then move on to the second course on the menu. Hey, don't you walk away from me. You don't know who you're dealing with. Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever! Walkabout, written by David Fury, considered by many to be the very best episode of Lost. There are a few other contenders for that title on this very list, for sure, but the first ever John Locke flashback episode is a fantastic showcase of Terry O'Quinn's talents and a perfect demonstration of the island's supernatural qualities. The third course on the list features yet another incredible John Locke scene, though it's an episode that centers on his opposite number. Why are you out here, Jack? I think I'm going crazy. Well, you're not going crazy. No? No, crazy people don't know they're going crazy. They think they're getting saner. White Rabbit. 
the fifth episode of the series, featuring Matthew Fox as Jack Shepard racing through the jungle in pursuit of his dead father. It's a really rewarding episode on rewatch, knowing the ghost of Christian Shepard is actually the mysterious man in black, a.k.a. the smoke monster, a.k.a. Lost's final boss, and seeing the almost paternal relationship between Locke and Jack on the island at this very early stage of the game makes the experience even more emotional considering where they go. For our fourth course, we vault all the way to the end of season one with the three-part finale, Exodus, in which Jack and Locke's relationship has taken a severe turn for the worse. I think that's why you and I don't see eye to eye sometimes, Jack, because you're a man of science. Yeah. And what does that make you? Me? Well, I'm a man of faith. Exodus is my personal favorite episode of Lost. What with the raft launch and the black rock and the arst exploding all over the place and the thing is we're going to have to take the boy of it all and it's at the very least an end of innocence of sorts with Lost because after the season one finale, it's straight down the hatch and into some serious sci-fi shenanigans, which also means we're at a bit of a crossroads for our fifth course. You can either watch the season two premiere, Man of Science, Man of Faith, or skip ahead to season two's third episode, Orientation, in which you learn all about the Dharma Initiative for the first time. My advice, of course, is to watch them both, but if you need to make a sacrifice, maybe just watch the very first scene from Man of Science, Man of Faith so you get that incredible first Swan Station sequence with Desmond, and then move along to Orientation, which continues pushing the Jack versus Locke narrative, in addition to pushing something else. It's not real. Look, you want to push the button, you do it yourself. If it's not real, then what are you doing here, Jack? Why did you come back? Why do you find it so hard to believe? Why do you find it so easy? It's never been easy! For our sixth course, we're skipping all the way to the season two finale, Live Together, Die Alone, which shows how far the faith warrior John Locke has fallen, sends the hatch into the great beyond, and escalates the feud between Jack's people and the others. It also introduces you to Lost's very best love story. All we really need to survive is one person who truly loves us. And you have her. I will wait for you. Always. I love you. I love you, Penny. That's going to bring us to Season 3 and our seventh course. And while I was tempted to guide you toward flashes before your eyes, we'll get more Desmond Penny elsewhere on this list. And time is a factor, both in that episode and as far as how much you've allotted time for a swift Lost rewatched. To that end, here's perhaps a controversial entry for course number seven. Dude. Hey, dude. Stop moping. Come on. I'm moping. I'm thinking. Uh-uh. When people stare out at the ocean and get all quiet-like, they're moping. So get up and come with me. That car I found, we're getting it running. What's the point? What'd you do that for? Snap out of it. Stop feeling sorry for yourself because someone said you're gonna die. I'll get an idea that's gonna help us both. Now, it is dangerous. And there's a very good chance that you will die. You're supposed to convince me to come with you? It is. Because if you don't die, then we win. When? Look, I don't know about you, but things have really sucked for me lately and I could really use a victory. So let's get one, dude. Let's get this car started. Let's look death in the face and say, whatever, man. Let's make our own luck. What do you say? 
There might be more narratively important episodes in Lost lore than Trisha Tanaka is dead, in which Hugo Hurley Reyes finds and fixes a van in the middle of the jungle with an assist from Charlie Sawyer, Jin, and Vincent the Dog. But are there other episodes in Lost lore that do a better job highlighting this show's amazing sense of humor and pure spirit? I don't know about that. A wheel spinner in many different senses at the time, Trisha Tanaka holds up better than most Lost episodes now, given how well it embodies the show's highest character-driven heights. Plus, knowing that this whole series is going to end with Hurley in charge of the island, it's worth spending some time with a closer look at this eventual new man in charge. Double plus, it's going to help you invest in Charlie's season three storyline, in which he's been told he's been earmarked for death thanks to visions from a newly clairvoyant Desmond, which is going to make his eventual demise all the more powerful in our eighth course, the season three finale, Through the Looking Glass, another contender for best episode ever, and certainly the one that features the show's biggest twist. We have to go back! No Lost Rewatch is complete without the very first flash forward, in which viewers learn that, yes, the survivors of Oceanic 815 are going to make their way off the island eventually. But not all of them, and certainly not for a happily ever after. It's the big catalyst heading into the final three seasons of the show, imbuing Lost with a sense of urgency as we, like Hurley's Dharma Van, are suddenly rolling downhill toward the end of the line. This brings us to season four, in which Jack and the gang are no longer just dealing with the others, but also the freighter folk, including scientist Daniel Faraday, who plays a big role in the Lost Binge Diet's ninth course, which I'm sure you can recognize just by the music alone. Penny, Penny, answer. Answer, Penny. There's no need to play the full clip. There's no need to make you cry in the middle of whatever it is you're doing right now. But of course, that's from The Constant, yet another contender for best lost episode ever, and certainly the most experimental of the lot, as it tells the time-spanning love story between Desmond and Penny. When you're finished drying your eyes, you can move on to our 10th course, The Shape of Things to Come, starring one Michael Emerson as Benjamin Linus, who will break your heart for reasons that are very different from Des and Penny's telephone reunion. You have 10 seconds, Ben. Okay, listen. Nine. She's not my daughter. Eight. I stole her as a baby from an insane woman. She's a pawn, nothing more. She means nothing to me. <laughs> I'm not coming out of this house. So if you want to kill her, go ahead and do it. Yikes. All these years later, mega yikes. The Shape of Things to Come was Lost's first episode after the writer's strike in 2007 and 2008. And because the Lost team lost so much time, they needed to race toward the finish line of season four with more velocity than ever before. As a result, the Ben-centric flash forward is one of the best and most propulsive hours in Lost history and is a perfect table setter for the 11th course on our menu, the three-part season four finale, There's No Place Like Home. Since at this point you'll have missed a huge swath of season four, No Place Like Home is going to get you up to speed with the Oceanic Six, who all got off the island, and you're going to see how their lives turned out not for the better. It's also going to set up the huge mystery of what happened to the survivors still left behind on the island. It's also going to allow Ben to score some revenge for what happened to his daughter. You killed my daughter. I killed my daughter. Stop. Stop. 
What'd you do? You just killed everybody on that boat. So? Season 5 is the time travel season. Controversial season that I think plays a lot better on a rewatch than maybe it did in its first airing. But in the spirit of time travel, the 12th course is going to take you all the way from the season 4 finale to the variable much deeper into season 5. This episode's going to give you all the information you need to know. Jack and the Oceanic Six found their way back to the island. They're trapped in the 70s with many of the other survivors, and they're all posing as members of the Dharma Initiative. And kooky scientist Daniel Faraday, he's come up with a plan to change the future by detonating a nuclear bomb. It's just one problem. That plan gets disrupted thanks to Faraday's mom. I'm going to give you three seconds. One. Don't do this. Two. Why did you do that? He got a gun on you. He wasn't going to shoot me, Eloise. You knew. You always knew. You knew this was going to happen. And you, you sent me here anyway. Who are you? I'm your son. Stephen King is often cited as a source of inspiration for Lost, and no episode is more Kingian than The Variable. But it's not until course number 13, the season 5 finale known as The Incident, that we're finally face-to-face with a villain who sports a very Kingian name, The Man in Black, a.k.a. The Smoke Monster, a.k.a. The Final Boss, a.k.a. The Ancient Bad Guy currently wearing the face of John Locke. The Incident sets up the endgame mythical stakes of Lost including the first-ever sighting of the man in black in his original human form, as played by Titus Welliver, and actor Mark Pellegrino playing the role of the mysterious Jacob. How did they find the island? You'll have to ask them when they get here. I don't have to ask. You brought them here. They come, fight, they destroy, they corrupt. It always ends the same. It only ends once. Anything that happens before that, it's just progress. From the season five finale, we're blasting back into the future once again and getting very close to the end of it all. Course number 14, what they died for. At this point, since we've yada yada past a lot of stuff, this is what you need to know. A ton of your favorite characters are dead. Most recently, Saeed Jarrah and the Quan's Jin and Son, killed by the Man in Black, who everyone still calls Locke, even though he's totally not Locke. He's very much not Locke. It's very confusing. I really don't like that, but whatever. The Man in Black also successfully killed Jacob, though not his ghost, which means the island's protector needs to appoint a successor, Logan Roy style. Bore on the floor over there. I know we're speeding through the final season here, much to the chagrin of Richard Alpert's stands, who are going to be mad at me for dissing Abiturno. And if you want to watch that one instead of what they died for, by all means. Hey, watch them all, seriously. But if we're going fast, then I think what they died for is the necessary table setter to get ready for the final act of the series, which, of course, is the final entry in the Lost Binge Diet menu. The end, literally, both in terms of this list and the name of the series finale. And no... 
They weren't dead the whole time. How dare you? Here's Christian Shepherd spelling out the nature of life and death on Lost as plainly as it could ever possibly stated for anybody who's still confused. Yeah, I'm real. You're real. Everything that's ever happened to you is real. All those people in the church, they're all real too. They're all... They're all dead. Everyone dies sometime, kiddo. Some of them before you, some long after you. And with that, you're done. Lost binge diet well and fully accomplished. The full 15-course meal, in case you need the episode titles repeated, Pilot, Walkabout, White Rabbit, and Exodus from Season 1, either Man of Science, Man of Faith, or Orientation from Season 2, plus the finale Live Together Die Alone, Trisha Tanaka is Dead and Through the Looking Glass from Season 3, The Constant, The Shape of Things to Come and There's No Place Like Home from Season 4, The Variable and the Incident from Season 5, and What They Died For and The End from Season 6. The End Indeed. It's nowhere near as satisfying as the full 100-plus course meal is going to provide for you, of course, but hopefully you'll find the Lost Binge Diet filling all the same. And if you'd rather spend your time watching brand new shows instead of tripping back down memory lane with Lost, well, Netflix always has the island waiting for you to visit. Bore on the floor over there. Fair point, Mr. Roy. And that's going to do it for this week of series regular. For our next act, we'll be going back to a very different island with one last story from my trip to the Fiji filming location of Survivor. Keep an ear out for that podcast very soon. Until then, thank you as always for listening to Series Regular, the Hollywood Reporter's all-in podcast on genre television. Subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice and write into us at seriesregular at thr.com with your questions, feedback, or show coverage suggestions, which you're also welcome to send my way on Twitter at Round Howard. Until next time, take care. Take care.